You know, last week I started with a history lesson. You guys loved it so much, I'm going to do it again, all right? So we're going to do some, some quick history because the things we're talking about actually happened. And so in, put this up on the screen, in 606-605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar surrounds Jerusalem, blockades Jerusalem, and forces it to surrender. The reason why Nebuchadnezzar is there is not because Nebuchadnezzar needed another city to conquer. God sent him. The reason why God sent him is because his people had been for so long just drifting away. And God says, listen, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, turn from your fake religion. I mean, you're saying one thing with your mouth, but you're treating the orphans and the poor. It's just so much injustice going on. And God sent prophets like Jeremiah to warn his people. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Uh, he sounds a lot like the, the, a loving parent of a child struggling with addiction. Because Jeremiah's book, it's all, uh, you know, the full range of expression of emotion. You know, love, intense love, and then disappointment. Intense love and anger. Intense love and frustration. Intense love and sadness. And that's the story. And that's where the book of Daniel actually begins because Jeremiah has been warning the people, if you go this path, I can't go down the road with you. God can't go down this road, and you want the way of the world, the world's going to have you. Well, eventually Nebuchadnezzar came and surrounded the city, took 10,000 of the best and the brightest, the officers, the military, the skilled people, all the educated in their families, 10,000 of them. Uh, took them back to the city of Babylon. I don't know if you know this, uh, he didn't destroy the city at this point. This was the first of two times Nebuchadnezzar would come. He only took 10,000 people, he left everybody there and set up a little puppet kingdom, basically. He was gonna take these 10,000 back, educate them in the ways of Babylon, force them to be assimilated, and then send them back to rule over this new kingdom that he'd captured. Daniel and his friends were part of that 10,000, and we'll come back to them in a moment. And for the next 11 to 12 years, these puppet rulers, a succession of puppet rulers, they kept rebelling against the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar goes on to conquer Egypt, and the rulers of Jerusalem would try to make alliances with Egypt and try to rebel against the king, while finally in about 500 and 87, 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar returns, and this time, just he's had it. And he destroys the city, destroys the temple, disperses everybody, okay? So the judgment actually came, but it took a period of time. So let's go back. What happened to those first 10,000 people? Nebuchadnezzar took them back to his city, and they settled, not in the city, they refused to have anything to do with the Babylonians, but they settled outside near the rivers, on the canal near Babylon. And there's some, some prophets rose up among the people, false prophets actually, and started saying things like, have nothing to do with these Babylonians. We're not gonna move in. We're not gonna be a part of their culture. They're trying to take us over. Uh, God's gonna rescue us. God's gonna judge them. God's going to you know, bring us back. It won't be long and we'll be going home. Well, Jeremiah, who's one of the older people that got left behind in Jerusalem, he hears that this movement is starting among those captives. They have no humility. They have no recognition that, that God has been trying to get their attention, and yet they're saying God's going to rescue us, a very self-righteous spirit. So Jeremiah, the prophet, the true prophet of God, writes a prophecy and sends it back to the people who are now in Jerusalem. And you need to understand this because otherwise this passage won't make sense. 
But what he writes in Jeremiah 29 becomes, I believe, the blueprint of success, the vision for Daniel's life. I've been wondering all summer long as I've been reading the book of Daniel, how did he do it? How could he be such an exceptional person? And I think I've discovered it here in Jeremiah chapter 29. Read with me. Look at this amazing prophecy that Jeremiah sends to the 10,000 captives that are living by the river in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Do you, he's saying you're going to be here a long time. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Don't, don't assimilate. Maintain your culture. In fact, grow your culture among the Babylonians. In, impact it, but, but, but increase. Seek, look at this part. This blows my mind. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. That's Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says. Don't let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you have encouraged them to have. And these people were playing up. They were just saying what the people wanted them to say. God's going to rescue you. Separate. Don't have anything to do with them. Stay, in your little, stay out here outside the city in our little bubble. He says, you want your prophets to say that, but don't listen to them. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, here's where it gets very prophetic. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You've heard this part. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. There's coming a day when you will be humbled, and you'll call on me. And I'll listen, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places to which I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. Now that had to be absolutely astounding to the people who heard it. God was telling people who were captured, who were being threatened, who were being pressured by an evil society, he says, I want you to get a bigger picture for what I'm doing. And I think God is speaking to us right now. Get a bigger picture of what I'm doing in this world. You are here in this moment by the hand of God. That's what he said to those people. You're here now by the hand of God. I brought you to this place for a reason. You're not here because Nebuchadnezzar put you into exile. I brought you here. It's part of my plan that you lost cultural power. It's part of my plan that you're no longer the dominant force. I've designed this. I let it happen. I designed it so that it would bring you back to me. I'm doing something in you. I want to do something through you. I want to do something in your hearts again 
And when I do something in your hearts through you, I'm going to change this city. I'm going to change the world. It's almost as if God was saying, I'm fully aware of what's going on in this culture, what their intentions are, what's happening, but I am still in control. I know exactly what's going on, and I've brought you to this moment, to this place, to this time, because I want to do something in you, and I want to do something through you. So God says to them, don't just, don't stay outside. Move in, but don't melt in. They want to assimilate you. Well, don't let them, you know, don't just reflect the culture. Move in and start to set the culture. I want you to be spiritually bicultural. <laughs> Do you understand what, that, what that's like? I mean, I can speak to this. I grew up in another culture. I grew up 100%, you know, I grew up American, but live in a culture, grow up in a culture where as you grow up and you learn the language and you you eat the food and you understand the customs and pretty soon it's so automatic. You're 100% American, but you, you're Haitian. You know, how to, you know how to speak, you know how to, and especially as a child coming up, you know how to be, you're, you're, you're 100% American, but you're able to be co- totally fluent in another culture. And that's what he's saying to these people. Move in, but don't melt in. I want you to become totally relatable to the people that you're with, but I want you to remain 100% part of the kingdom of God. And I think that's what God is saying prophetically to us today, that I want you to be spiritually bicultural. You need to know how to relate to the people of this world, but remain 100% a citizen of God's kingdom. And I think this is speaking actually prophetically right to us because God's saying to us through this passage, I didn't bring you to this time and place for you to stay separate in a little sub-Christian subculture, meanwhile shaking your finger at the culture, decrying how wrong things are and how broken it is, you know, those unbelievers, just like they must have said those Babylonians. Well, of course they're going to act like Babylonians. They're Babylonians, you know. You're going to act like that. So I want you to go in there, get out of your little safe zone, get out of hanging out with your own people, and I want you to move into Babylon. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. It's going to be a while, and he specifically says 70 years. Now note that. I'm going to explain the significance of that next week because Daniel actually lives there long enough to see the full span of the 70 years and what happens when he comes to the end and what does he do. We'll talk about that next week. And so seek the peace. The Jewish seek the shalom. The, not just peace like, like, like the physical well-being, the spiritual well-being, the emotional being, you pray for and seek that the peace comes to the city that you're in because when it prospers, you will prosper. I'm telling you, I don't hear hardly any preaching like this today. It's all about judging the city, condemning the city, staying separate from the city, waiting for God to come and rescue us quickly someday when the Lord is saying to this generation and to that generation, he said, I want you to move in. Don't just set the culture, but don't just reflect the culture. You set the culture. Make a difference. Help people. Connect. Make it safe. Bless. Show people what your faith looks like. I'm going to do something in you, and I'm going to do something through you. Now, somehow, Daniel gets a hold of this. We know from Daniel chapter 7, he actually reads the letter of the prophet Jeremiah. 
And somehow he was so affected as a young man. Think about what had happened to him. Think about how painful, how difficult. He'd been captured. Maybe his parents killed. He's, 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 uh, they attack his gender. They make him a eunuch. They crush him. They, 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 they force him to, to servitude and to go to, to learn all their customs. He understands they're trying to take him over and just use him for the rest of his life. And he has personally no future, no family, a dry tree. How easy for him to say, it is so unfair what has happened to me. These people are so evil. And yet he reads this, and I don't know how it happened, except that the Spirit of God made alive the Word of God to him. And somehow he believed he saw a hope and a future. And he says, I'm going to believe that God is going to do something bigger in my life. That it's not over for me. That, that this culture may define me and say, I'm not a man, but I will be a man after God's own heart. I will seek him. I will find him. I will have... I will pray and work for the prosperity of this city. He gets a vision for his life to become an exceptional person. Seventy years later, almost getting close to it by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has looking back and he has lived an exceptional life. A man after God's own heart, a man of such character, he's noticed, he's been uh, raised to a level of prominence and influence across three kingdoms. Kings have come and gone, and Daniel is blessed. And see, this is the picture for us. If Babylon represents the culture that's going crazy, that's evil, that's all messed up, Daniel represents the righteous remnant of people of God who will be blessed, who will be prospered. And God says, I don't want you just to hang out in your own little communities and stay separate. I want you to go in and engage and make a difference. And so while the rest of the exiles were living in a van down by the river, <laughs> Daniel's living an exceptional life. Let me, let me show you what that looked like. In Daniel chapter 6, read with me. This is now some 60 years from the captivity. It pleased excuse me, Darius, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, the succession of Babylonian kings ending with Belshazzar is gone, and now King Darius of the Medes and Persians, he's in charge and he spots Daniel. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps or administrators to rule throughout his kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. How in the world did he get to that position? He was so exceptional. The satraps are made accountable to these three administrators so that the king might not suffer loss. He put the three best people he could to make sure that his kingdom was managed right. And all of these 120 administrators reported to these three. Now look at this. Look at verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators, which basically means the other two guys, he was so much better by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> what, what, what happens when you know, you're one of three and you get a promotion over the other two? That's not going to be good. There's going to be problems. And so, first of all, they're upset just who is this guy? We're all, we're, he's this, this Hebrew slave that has come up to this top, uh, to the top of, the, uh, of this place of influence. And now he's like one of these three. And suddenly now this one gets promoted over all the others. He's going to have the ear of the king. Verse 4. At this, what's at this? Well, at his promotion, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct 
of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never be able to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. He was so exceptional. And I want you to write in, out of those, out of everything that's been said, let me make it simple. What are the qualities of his exceptional life? He was a man of discipline, number one. He was a, he was a man of incredible servanthood. And he was a man of incredible integrity. No corruption could be found. He was not negligent. He was disciplined. He was a servant. The king never suffered loss when Daniel was running things. I mean, it was so impressive. Daniel had this spirit of excellence. You know what a spirit of excellence is? It's the wow factor. <laughs> a wow factor is, wow, that's impressive. Wow, I've never seen anything like that. There's just a spirit of excellence. You're so, uh, you have so much integrity. You're so disciplined. You're such a servant. You're always putting the needs of others. I mean, just think about, like, look, your, 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 your life is so amazing. We want people to say that for the glory of our God. Your marriage, wow. The way your kids, wow. The way you conduct yourself at work, wow. I mean, you get there early, Everything that's entrusted to you, you do the best of your ability. You show up with the most incredible attitude. Everything is organized because you care. You put the needs of others before yourself. Wow. Wow. It's the wow factor. It's exceptional. I mean, when you go to work and you bring the best of yourself, not for your sake, but really to bring prosperity to the company and to bless the city, or you volunteer or you do things for the sake of others and you bring the best effort when everybody else is, you know, given half best or the least amount of effort, wow. They never were able to find charges against him. They expected negligence. They expected corruption. Why? Because that's what they were like. It's the way government ran. But with Daniel, they could never find one thing. Now, Daniel is just the shadow of somebody else that would come later. Daniel is actually a shadow of Jesus because when Jesus showed up, they said, we've never heard anybody talk like him. We've never seen anybody be like him. Jesus was the most exceptional person. Daniel's just the, a forerunner, a shadow of what was going to come. And the scripture says that we're supposed to be Christ's ambassadors, you know, so when we walk into a room, we're supposed to represent Christ. So when we walk in the room, it's supposed to be like, whoa, we're this, we've never heard anybody talk like this. We've heard anybody speak like this. That's the job given to you and me. And some of you might say, I don't want that job. I can't do it. Uh, I'm the project. I'm not exceptional. Listen, but that's the whole beauty of this, of this gospel we have is that God wants to do a work inside of you and me. That if we'll, if we'll respond to his love and we'll start following him, God starts a work of redemption and restoration in us. And I've told you this over and over, that if you will just follow him and say yes to him and put yourself around other people trying to do the same thing and growing, you'll look back in just a few years, you won't even recognize yourself. Because God will have changed you from the inside out. Where you had no discipline, he gave you discipline. Where you didn't care about other people, he's given you the heart of a servant. And where you didn't have integrity, suddenly you have an incorruptible character. He's changed you from the inside out. Now, that's what God wants to do in us. And that's how the Holy Spirit wants to transform us. And what's amazing is Jesus taught this. 
Jesus taught about these three qualities when he said to his disciples, when he was training them to change the world, he gave this beautiful Sermon on the Mount, and I just want to highlight out of that sermon the three qualities that Daniel had, Jesus talked about, Jesus had, and he says, here's how you're supposed to have. And I, I want to tell you that, that this is the vision. Just like Daniel had a vision for his life, what I want to give you today is a vision for the three qualities of your life that if you have these in this culture today, it will be so exceptional. It will be so different. If you want to make a difference, you can't be like everybody else. You're going to have to be different. You have to be the exception. And so here's a vision for the three qualities, the marks of a follower of Jesus, the marks of an ambassador, a representative of Jesus, that when we walk into culture, the culture says, we have never seen this before. Are you ready? The first exceptional quality is a disciplined, loving response to unfair criticism and persecution. <laughs> this is called the hurt principle. What do you do when people hurt you? How are you going to respond? What happened to Daniel when they hurt him? And look at his exceptional response. You see, if you're going to make a difference, you have to be different. You can't just do what everybody else does when they get hurt. Now, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said it this way, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says something strange. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I like this part. In the same way they persecuted me and all the prophets who came before, like Daniel, that's what's going to happen to you. I mean, he's saying, why do you, are you so surprised? Expect it. The minute you raise your head above mediocrity, one inch, their arrows are going to fly. That's the way this world works. Everybody wants you to just stay average, don't rock the boat, don't confront. But you decide you're going to be exceptional and start acting. I mean, that's what happened to Daniel. Look how they persecuted him. He just gets promoted and persecution comes. Arrows are going to fly your way. And if you know that, are you just going to respond the rest of your life just like everybody else? Or can you respond with the quality and the character of Jesus? You can't stop people saying negative things about you or to you. They will do that. And persecution, the way you respond, is going to define your, your life. You're going to have people say things about you, but you don't have to let that into your spirit. No one can offend you without your permission. I think that was really good. You might want to write that one down. You hear me what I'm saying? Nobody can offend you without your permission. You get to decide. I mean, you can decide, am I going to just let that go? Am I going to just be above that, rise over it? I mean, it's just, you, you can decide that or you can hang on to it and be bitter. I mean, like the exceptional modern-day theologian that she is, Taylor Swift, I love what she has to say because the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. I shake it off. I shake it off. She is so brilliant. She is exceptional. And she has something to say. Exceptional words to live by. Look at how Jesus said that. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. 
lend without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great. You'll be acting as children of the Most High. Why? Because people lend to those who expect. I mean, everybody does that if they expect to get paid back, but you lend expecting not to be repaid. You'll be acting as children of the Most High when you do this. Look at this. He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So you be compassionate like him, just as your father is compassionate. You know, I learned this from my dad. My dad taught me, you don't hold on to bitterness. You don't let people, what people say affect you. And I've told you the story of how, you know, one time he was, uh, when I was real young, he was uh, castigated in the newspapers and accused and put down and challenged to a debate. And all kinds of horrible things were said and put into the public, trying to discourage him, trying to get him to stop what he was doing, trying to intimidate him. And my dad just kept on doing what he was doing. The hurricane came. The island was destroyed. The first thing he did after he put our stuff together, put his tools in the truck, take me, and we go right over to the house of the man who was leading that attack. And we spend the next two days picking up debris, repairing things, serving that man's needs. And the man has tears in his eyes, and he says, remember them to this day. Why are you doing this to me? Because my dad said, because you're my brother in Christ, and I love you. we got to stick together. No bitterness. No judgment, no re reactivity, just a choice of exception. What a thing for a kid about six years old to see. It, it defined my life. And see, you don't have to hold on to hurt or bitterness either. It is exceptional. Exceptional people, just let it go. It is very non-exceptional just to rant about it on Facebook or tell everybody else what's, you know, just complain and hold on. And that, that, that's just what everybody does. But to be exceptional... You let it go. And if we only handle persecution and rejection just like everybody else, <laughs> it's no different. A while back, I was on a plane, and I love it when I get on early, and I get to get my spot, and I get to pick the seat that I want, fly southwest a lot. And uh, got this aisle this one time, got my headphones on, sat back, relaxed, and got my stuff in the overhead, which is a major challenge. And suddenly, just as the door's about to close, these two guys walk on, and they're saying, hey, you wouldn't mind moving so that I could sit next to my friend. You wouldn't mind, right? And they're standing there, and I just feel this, I don't want to move. <laughs> you know, I had this, like, get your own seat, you know? It, but I began to, I, I've learned this, that sometimes when God sends you a challenge like that, he's trying to do something. Like, he wants to, he, he wants to do something in me, and he wants to do something through me. And so, I don't know what it was, but I heard this little whisper, like, trust me. And I went, sure, you know what, no problem. So I go to find another seat. There's one middle seat near the back. And there's these two guys who were quite happy because they thought they had a middle seat open. And now I show up. So now they're not happy. And this is not a middle seat body. And they were not happy to, they were not happy to see me. And now there's no overhead stuff. And so I got to wheel my stuff under the seat. And I'm sitting in there, you know. And... Uh, and I'm just thinking, well, God, you know, what do you want to do here? And I just noticed, you know, the flight gets on the way, and this guy's, it's 7.30 in the morning. This guy's already, he's pounded back two Bloody Marys already. He's just going for it, you know. And I just had great compassion. I'm thinking, what is it going on in this man's life? What's so painful that he's going after it so hard at 7.30 in the morning? And so we're, you know, after he gets all loosened up, he looks over at me. He's very chatty now. And he says, uh, um, so what do you do for a living? And so I looked at him with a big smile. I'm a pastor, pastor of a church, which is always, you never know what response you're going to get. 
And so he looks at me with his eyes, and he looks down at his drink, and then he gets kind of a scowl on his face. He says, I suppose you're going to judge me for this. Suppose God's going to judge me, I think he said. And I says, man, God's not even thinking about that. I think he's thinking about you, you know. You know, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I just started explaining to him the guilt-free zone goes with me wherever I go, you know. You've heard me talk about this. Like, you don't need anybody telling you what's wrong with your life. You already know. I mean, this guy's just trying to cope already. He knows what all the, he knows what the problems are. He's just trying to figure out a way to cope with it. I had no judgment for him. And I just listened to him and talked to him. And he starts telling me about, you know, about his life and the pressure and the 80-hour weeks and the layoffs and how he's, he doesn't see his kid and the guilt he feels and all of that. And I just said, man, I'm so sorry. I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And we had this amazing conversation. See, God moved me through the circumstance to be in that seat specifically for a guy named Jeff who needed somebody to care and to love him well. I think we get after the issues way too soon. That's our problem. This whole culture, especially the religious culture, is all about, you know, we got to go after the issues. And you know what? That's not even my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to be an exceptional person and to love him well. Let the Holy Spirit make. He already knew. And he just needed somebody that would reach out and care. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. So be an exceptional person. The way you respond to inconvenience and hurt and unfair criticism and persecution is going to define you, and that's how we change the world. Let me quickly give you the next two real fast because we're going to run out of time. Exceptional quality number two, a humble, permeating presence of a servant in hard places. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, uh, the way you handle persecution is going to define you, and he says, you will be the salt of the earth and you'll be the light of the world. Salt is what he's talking about, the salt principle. That salt permeates. It works itself into the, it seeps in. Jesus lived this. I mean, he was not aloof with pronouncing teaching statements. He got in there with his hands, and he touched, and he served, and he cared, and he hugged, and he held, and he embraced the foreigner, the leper, the outsider, the sick. He's very, very missional. And the purpose of salt in Jesus' day isn't just about flavor, it's about being a preservative. Like you put salt in things that are going to go bad. And God has, a, has the, he, he, what he's saying in that passage, when you're the salt of the earth, he's saying, I've put you where I put you at this time. I put you in a very hard, difficult time so that you could be salt and influence and preserve. And if a salt loses its saltiness, or in other words, it has, no, it has no worth. If you're going to not be salt, if you have no preserving effect, what good are you? And so he's permeating. And so this is this, this idea of, of coming in. And here's Daniel working in a hard place with corrupt bosses and people. And he's got this exceptional attitude and he serves and the king never su uh, suffers loss. I'm telling you, the way you win people's hearts today is not by shouting at them with a megaphone or ranting on Facebook. <laughs> Please stop doing that. <laughs> it's by serving people. It's by serving people. It's by noticing. It's by being aware and saying nothing and going in. I mean, what if you just tomorrow went by Starbucks on your way into work and just treated your office? What if you came in with and brought the best attitude every day? What if you brought in the heart to say, this isn't about my kingdom or my paycheck. This is about me praying for the prosperity of this company because if it prospers, I will prosper. It's this exceptional attitude of a servant 
you know, if you see someone of a different culture at your work or in your neighborhood, your Muslim neighbor, and you decide, I'm going to walk across the street and befriend this person. I'm going to shovel their snow this winter. I'm going to mow their grass. I'm going to invite them to our home for dinner. We're going to make them a part of our lives. Nobody does that. That's a hard place. But you're not, you're not just going to do what comes easy because you're an exceptional person. You don't just do what everybody else would do and, you know, just get all caught up because of what's on the news halfway around the world. You treat your neighbor like dirt. I mean, come on. Be exceptional. Be exceptional. Volunteer to be Jesus in the hard places of this world. Pray for the peace of our city. Pray for the places that are dark and hurting and say, we're going to get engaged, which is why we're not going to just stay here on this corner, that our mission is, is to launch churches out into the, all the places, even into some very difficult places in our city. And I think that God's going to call some of you to go and be a part of those things in the future because people from Fishers don't have to just stay in Fishers. Uh oh, I just offended some of you, maybe, or something. You, you don't have to just stay in the bubble. You can actually get out and be exceptional. You know, thank, thank God that we're already there. Thank God for your giving and how we've blessed, you know, all, at, all of the thousands of people. It's not just about meeting material needs or social justice, it's about earning the right to be heard to share Christ and to tell people about the wonder of his love. And they see it and feel it first long before they hear it coming from our mouth. Anyway. God wants to do something in you through serving. If you're not serving, serving will change you. If you're not serving in this church, you're just attending, you're missing out on, on the transformation what God wants to really do because you can't just watch it. You have to do it. He says, I brought you here so that I could do something in you. When you start to love on a child or serve somebody in need or give your very best, this ought to be the most exceptional place. And God brought you here not just to take but to be used and to, through you, uh, somebody gets, somebody's life is affected. And the day you see that happen, God's power working through you in a small way, but a big way in somebody else's life, you'll never be the same. Let me give you the last one. He calls us to be light. The exceptional quality of light. What is that? A beautiful, attractive confidence to speak the truth. A beautiful, attractive, a, a bold, not a brash, but a bold confidence to, to speak the truth to everyone, just to shine your light out. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city built on a hill shouldn't be hidden, can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives life to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds. So service precedes what you say but then what you say is going to glorify your Father in heaven. You, you can't be silent. You're bold. It doesn't mean that you're rude or obnoxious or you're critical or mean, but the righteous, the Scripture says, are as bold as a lion. They don't have to be afraid to speak the truth. Much like Peter and John when they were hauled before uh, some people who were mad at them simply because they had healed someone. And they says, by what right do you do these things? Stop talking about Jesus. And they were amazed. Look at this in Acts 4.3. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training just like you and me. But they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus and you're on his mission, you cannot stop talking about what you have seen and heard. 
And you can be bold about that, and you never have to be ashamed. In fact, the Holy Spirit says that when you speak for me, when you do it, when you go out in my name, my power and presence will go with you. I'll even put the words in your mouth. Bold words, but gracious words, kind words, the right words at the right time. How did I know what to say to that man on the plane? I didn't have it scripted. But when you yield yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit and you have the right attitude and you pray, God will give you the right words to say. And it's not even scary. You just say what God puts in your heart boldly. And see, that's where we're missing it. I see two extremes today. I see the brash and ugly or I see the silent ducking. We don't want to offend anybody and not much in between. We need an incredible, beautiful balance of the two. People are always asking me, Aaron, what's your opinion on this? <laughs> what's your opinion on this issue? I always have the same answer. If you ever ask me that, here's the answer you're going to get. Well, who are we talking about? The minute it's personal, I'll know exactly how to act. The Holy Spirit will always show me how to be like Jesus to a person. I never have to wonder about that. It's very clear. But if you just, see, that's not what they're asking. They want me to make some, some statement because they want to label me. And then they want to limit me about what I say. So I always say, well, what do you mean issue? Who are we? Is this somebody like your brother or your sister, your, your dad? Tell me, what are you talking about? Let me, how can I help? The minute it's personal, everything becomes so crystal clear. People want to say, well, no, no, no. What, what's your, what's your, what's, what's your, what do you think about the issue? I'm like, listen, man, my opinion, it doesn't even matter. What do you mean my, see, just a brash opinion on a, with a broad brush, that's just always arrogant and judgmental. Here, here's what I know. I have humbled myself under the word of God. What the word of God says, that's what I do, that's what I believe, and that's going to be the guide for my life. And then somebody says, well, what if I don't like what the Bible says? I say, oh, well, then your problem's not with me. Your problem's with God and what he says. And if you think you know more than him, I mean... That's pride. That's pride. Humility says, if I, even if I don't understand or I don't like it or I don't get it, whatever, humility says God knows more than me and I'll be humble under his word. All I'm saying is there are the right answers, especially when you're in the moment ministering to somebody like Jesus. God will always tell you what to say, and that's the time to be like light, a beautiful, bold confidence. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I don't know if you do. Because most of us have lived in this little sheltered, I don't want to offend anybody. Or all you've seen is the talking heads that just like to shout and build their mailing lists. I want you to know that following Jesus is very, very simple. Let me show you how you're supposed to do it. Truth and grace always go together. How should I respond? Let me leave you with this. Time has run out. John chapter 1. Just like our exceptional savior and just like the exceptional example of Daniel, here's how we are supposed to be. If you'll go to John chapter 1, verse 14, and put that on the screen, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the one and only son of the father who came full of grace and truth. Truth does not come through doctrinal debate. It doesn't come through a policy. It doesn't come through a soundbite. It comes through a person. It's always personal. And grace always precedes truth. It never comes alone. Grace and truth. So grace says we all need a second chance. And truth says the only way I can get it 
if I admit I need a second chance, okay? Grace says we all need a Savior. I can never measure up to the standards of a holy God. I can never, I can never be right. You know, the crazy thing about it is all of us are sinners. All of us have stuff in our life. We need to be so full of grace. If we ever start pointing out one particular sin, that's the time to get very scared and a little bit humble because, you know what, if my sins are put on display for the world to see, I have no place to stand. I need grace just like you. We all need grace, but truth is is because it's the only thing that can set people free. Truth says we're not going to say that something's not broken that is broken. We're not going to say that something is not a sin that God has said is, not, is a sin. But truth really says we all need forgiveness and we all need to admit that our lives aren't where God wants them to be. That we're not living our lives as God intended. That's all of us. And we're powerless to change and all of us need to admit that we're sinners. And we'll be forever that way until God intervenes. One thing I know, that the more I walk with God, the more light he shines on me, the more stains I see on my own clothing, right? So grace, but truth, it's both. And if you look at the ministry of Daniel, you look at the ministry of Jesus, he was both of those things. And that's my dream for us here at Heartland, that we will be an incredible, beautiful people. Salt, light, not reacting to hurt, but filled with the Holy Spirit, walking into the darkest, most difficult places of our city, fully engaging because God has given us his heart for the world, and that's how we're going to change it. Do you receive this this morning? All right. I hope I challenged you. Well, let me pray for you. In fact... One of the things that God does is he makes us new. Every time we we hear his word, he has the opportunity to change us, make us new. Well, God's not mad at you today. Somebody here needs his grace. God's not mad at you. He understands you. He said to a woman at a well one time, a woman who'd been caught in adultery, he says, woman, I don't condemn you. I understand you. But he also said, but don't stay that way. I want you to live. I want you to live for something greater. I want you to leave that life of sin and become what I intended you to be. And God can do that for you this morning if you'll just simply say a humble prayer. God, I admit that I need you. I need you to forgive me. He will love you. He will restore you. Somebody needs to let go of bitterness and hurt today. That's why God brought you here. You're here by the hand of God to hear that message. He wants to give you his spirit to forgive and to heal. He wants us all to be salt and to be light. Say, God, forgive me for not engaging. Forgive me for withdrawing. Or maybe forgive me for attacking, being judgmental. God, teach me how to be a beautiful, loving presence. Make me new today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'll touch the hearts of your people this morning. May they not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.